With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Great stuff came up on the Q&A. First off, I've been making a list. One of my daughters wants to do a side hustle, not only this next summer, but over the next year. And I realized a lot of these like lists of side hustles are sort of generic and kind of stupid. Just telling somebody, oh, you could do Uber Eats. That's not really a good idea. You get like three cents for every mile you drive. So I wanted to figure out side hustles that could turn into actual sources of making a living, like maybe even businesses. So I've been working on that list and I shared that. I also talked about how did the Rolling Stones, the band that's been around for 50 years, how did they go from worst to first? I talked about my own particular productivity methods. I talked about how to validate an idea, talked about Andrew Yang and what I currently think of him. Actually, it's I've upped my opinion considerably recently. And then, and this is an odd one, but why does chicken have flexible rubber in it? Specifically, why flexible? That and more, listen to the Q&A here. And if you have any more questions for me, I will be happy to answer them. Ask me by texting me at 203-590-8607. Enjoy. Oh my gosh, so much stuff going on. I feel like it's been forever since we all hung out. Uh, what did we do this weekend? Did we come to Florida this weekend? Are we been here? When did we fly? I think we came on... Thursday? Thursday. We did? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Come. So we've been here like four days. So lots of stuff going on. Uh, just, I want to start off again with the BS non-headline of the day. And what really bothers me is that you go on CNN, all the news is virus and Trump and Trump said this, Trump said that. They don't really, most people don't care anymore. Like we just want to know that we're going to be safe. And I get it. If we wear masks and we stay indoors, we're going to be safe. Fine. But this morning I saw, you know, on one outlet that I'm very curious about the Chaz. Like the Chaz is the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle. And, you know, it's in this kind of, there's a lot of stores there. It's kind of this gentrified neighborhood. The Seattle mayor has said she's not going to do anything about it. The Washington governor said, that he, I don't know if it's a he or she actually is not going to do anything about it. And I don't understand because in the Constitution, the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution says you cannot have life, liberty, or property taken from you without due process. So of course, all the businesses that operate in the Chaz are suing because they can't open their businesses. So how could the government be okay with this? And then you would say, the Seattle mayor says, and I don't know, is she a Democrat, is she a Republican? It doesn't matter really, but I don't know what she is. 
She says, oh, it's like an arts festival there. It's okay. It's all peaceful protesting. Well, last weekend, some kid got shot. A 19-year-old died. And this morning, I don't know if you saw this, this morning at like three in the morning, some kid got shot and killed. And it's horrible. So I go on CNN. CNN.com is supposed to be our main source of news. And I search Chaz, Chop, whatever. There hasn't been an article since June 25th. It's June 29th. So they think like what Trump ate for breakfast this morning is news. Or there was a Katy Perry is depressed because of her recent breakup with Orlando Bloom. Like that was a headline. But like Chaz or Chop, where people are suing each other, people are getting shot and killed. Like it's obviously not a peaceful protest. Zero news. What is going on? And you can't, you can't get bit, get upset about it because if you get upset about that, you'll get upset about everything that's, that's happening. There's, there's so much, uh, hypocrisy in the world right now. I think it's really important. And, and I was just guilty of it. Like I pointed out some hypocrisy in the news, but I think it's really important to catch yourself and say, you know what? I'm not going to get, there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm not going to get upset about it. And I'm only going to focus on the things that I can control. I'm only going to focus on the things I'm getting, I I can get better at, or I can learn, you know, right now is such a a great time to, we're in this kind of reset world and it's such a great time to, to better ourselves, even Mm -hmm. though it's usually the best time to better yourself is when it's most difficult. So, so difficult times create strong people. And that's kind of a cliche. I want to avoid cliches there's too many too many self-help cliches out there like on twitter and instagram but it is i find for me the way i'm improving myself is by it's so clear to me and to you also that's why we're all hanging out here it's so clear where the hypocrisy is and i'm not, and it's not democrat or republican it's it's all of it is like the world's being run i'm not gonna get into it i'm just i'm catching myself right now let's yeah. focus let's focus on some fun stuff. And so uh, I'll go back and forth between some fun notes that I have, and you sent me some news articles that were fun, and I'll, I'll answer some questions. By the way, whatever questions I don't answer, I will eventually answer somewhere, or I'll answer directly via text. So you can text message me or Robin, but me, it goes to my phone, 203-590-8607. Eight six zero seven. Uh, Jay. Uh, hey, Wally. How's it going? Jay will uh, put the number up there. And um, so here's the first question. It's from IG Live Questions. <laughs> Unique name. Uh, hi, James. Any business ideas that focus on the isolation people are experiencing and how to connect them? Uh, that's a great question. And so there are business ideas, and then there are just general ideas. So, for instance. Right now, who are the most isolated people? So we all, uh, hey, Chris, hey, Lisa, hey, Max, hey, Jay, um, who are the most isolated people right now? We're, we're four months into the lockdown and you would, th- and a lot of the states are open. All the states to some degree are open, but there are some people that are sadly still locked down and with good reason. It might be people who are over the age of 70. It might be people who are, immunosuppressed in some way. So they're a little bit extra nervous about getting this virus. I mean, on the one hand, 
They should understand there's 300 million people in the country, 120,000 deaths. So it's a relatively small, very tiny fraction of people dying. But that doesn't mean you want to get this illness, particularly if you're afraid you're not going to be asymptomatic. Everybody wants to avoid it as long as possible. So, so there are some people who are alone, like old, again, older people, immunosuppressed people, and so on. So I think it's a good idea to create like an exchange. Like, let's say I'm 80 years old. I can sign up and say, listen, I love talking about history. I love talking about TV shows. I love talking about classical music. I love talking about politics. So, you know, and I'm on this exchange. And then other people can sign on and the person can say, I'm willing to pay $10 an hour to just have a Zoom conversation with people. And uh, uh, there are other people who could sign up and, you know, to, they, it's a side hustle. They want to make $10 an hour and they also can talk about history, classical music and so on. And there could be, it sounds almost prostitute like, but, you know, there could be reviews. So if someone signs up and like doesn't know anything about history or classical music, the 80 year old could say, oh, this person was just trying to make a quick buck. You know, so there's, there's review on, on both sides. There could be reviews and you have people who legitimately, it might be actually other people who are locked down. Like there are young people who are locked down, who are immunosuppressed and maybe, you know, they want to talk to older people or they want to learn from them or older people want to talk to the younger people. Or so there could be people who want to just talk to other people who are locked down for free. So build this exchange. Maybe there's a sign-up fee to join the exchange. So there's various business models. There could be advertising, um, you know, buy these uh, gloves and masks and, you know, that, that could be an advertising on this platform. So you can create an exchange where people who are locked down can reach out to other people who are locked down. So that's one business model. The other thing is, is that you could arrange um, like Zoom parties. So for instance, uh, I can say, sign up if you're locked down or if you're immunosuppressed or whatever. And every Friday night or every night, we're going to have a trivia quiz. So some people will want to join the history trivia quiz. Other people will want to join the old movies trivia quiz. Other people will want to join the music trivia quiz. So every night there could be trivia quizzes with some parties, maybe like, and, and some, some giveaways, I mean, like gift cards or whatever. And people could communicate in breakout rooms on this exchange. So, so if you're immunosuppressed, if you're locked down, um, it could be a whole advertisement sign up for, you know, nonstop trivia parties, uh, with the immunosuppressed, with the lockdowns. And it could be just a party all day long. And maybe there you pay a subscription, like, $10 a week to join this as long as you're locked down. And again, you have these trivia quizzes or watching parties or whatever, where there's a, or games that are played where, you know, there's awards won or whatever. But the other thing is you don't necessarily have to make this a business model. If I was locked down all the time, there's plenty of zoom. And just in the past three days, I've been to two zoom hangouts or meetups that had over 200 people on them. Uh, and, and they were really, one of them I gave a talk at and it was a lot of fun and you meet people and you chat and so on. And then also you can play games online at various game sites and you can meet people that way. There's chess sites, there's backgammon sites, there's poker sites. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a business model. The other thing is a lot of people haven't been able to go out on dates. 
So you can create like a Zoom and there, it, this already exists, but you could fine tune it. You can make Zoom related uh, dating apps. So people who are extra locked down, but want to meet people, you know, create a dating app just for them. So it's not like just using Tinder and then saying, hey, can we meet only on Zoom because I'm not allowed to go outside yet. A lot of people on Tinder want you to go outside because they, they want to do like the, hey, you, you know, what's up? And for you, what's up is you're locked down. So it's not, nothing's up, you're down. And so you want to meet the other people who are in your boat. So there could be dating apps just for this. Anything else for, for? I think you've covered a lot. <laughs> I mean, for me again, I like being locked down. First off, I'm locked down with this beautiful woman. But second off, my ideal, since I was nine, 19 years old, since I was 17 years old, my ideal day is just to play games all day. And now I've got this big computer in front of me. Yeah. I can play chess, poker. I can read. Yeah. I can write. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah I'm living the dream. <laughs> if it wasn't for the fact that 100,000 people are dead and that uh, military-style protesters are taking over cities mm -hmm. and murder hornets are mm -hmm. invading and T-Mobile's getting hacked and over the weekend, yes. Chase Bank was was hacked. And today, Iran's issues a subpoena for or, or for arrest. Donald Trump's arrest. And India and China are about to start World War III. If it wasn't for these little things, in the Sahara, a uh, what's going on with the Sahara? Oh yeah, there's a, a sandstorm coming from the Sahara now. Like we just arrive in Florida. Florida becomes the epicenter of the virus, and there's a sandstorm coming from the Sahara Desert for the first time in like 6,000 years. It's like a, it's like biblical. Like what the heck is going, like 2020, here's, here's, okay, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to flat out say, here's why Donald Trump should get reelected. And it has nothing to do with politics. Somehow or other, he has engineered that we are all living in a gigantic science fiction novel right now. Like this is the crazy, this is like Dune or like some kind of weird, Neuromancer yeah. type of science fiction novel. This is like Lord of the Rings with Sauron. Like, like it started off Australian wildfires. What the hell happened? Did Australia burn to pieces? Like, what is going on? And then Iran, we went to war with Iran, but now I thought that was gone, but now they're arresting. They're just, what are they going to do? Send a police officer to the White House? Like, how are they going to do that? And then what, what else is going on? Like, we have uh, impeachment, the deadliest pandemic. Of since 1919, we have uh, 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 you know Civil these unrest. these protests, and the protests are mixed. Nobody can tell me who. Everybody says the protests are mixed with other groups. So if you talk to Democrats, the other groups are white supremacists. If you talk to Republicans, the other groups are George Soros funded. So why can't a reporter just go and ask them? Who are you? Why can't anybody figure this out? It's such a big mystery. Like if I was a reporter, I that's what my job would be. Right. Like like CNN doesn't report on, you know, I can get an Airbnb in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone and I can get a plane ticket to Seattle and I could go right in there. But, but somehow no reporter has been able to go in and figure out who killed who in all of these different shootings. And who, what the heck is Raz Simone doing? So I looked up Raz Simone's account today. He's the warlord 
at the chess. If I'm going to take a chesscation, I want to make sure that the warlord is a decent guy, right? You don't want to make sure that the warlord's your, your enemy. And then you can have coffee with him or something. So his latest tweet this morning was another snuff video. I'm like watching, he, he, he's like, everybody watch this. So I'm watching this video and this, the police, I didn't know if it was the police or people from the Chaz or whatever. So apparently though, it was a 2019 video and the police are walking up to this guy who's in a bus shelter and the guy in the bus shelter is yelling like F you to the police. And um, the police is like, lie on, lie on your stomach. And then they start shooting and they kill the guy right in front of me. Like how many snuff videos does Twitter, they're going to ban everyone else except like Twitter is literally the snuff social network. Like you could watch as many dead people as you want on that. And then here's the thing. Raz Simone should be worried about the people dying in the little kids dying in the chest. He put, I saw, so I, of course, I was disturbed by this video because nobody likes to watch someone shot to death. So I Googled what was going on and I tracked it down. It was a 57 year old man in a bus shelter in Albuquerque, not in Seattle, in Albuquerque in 2019. So it's old news, mm -hmm. but it's important news. Yeah. And here's the thing. The guy, again, race doesn't matter. It's, it's horrible, but the guy was white. And he was mentally ill. And so I will point out something really interesting, which is that 60% of the people killed ac accidentally or inappropriately through negligence by law enforcement, 60% are mentally ill. And I know this because I am a co-founder of a company that is building um, a device to help police. You know, it's a basically a non-lethal weapon to restrain people. It's to replace taser because taser kills too many people. So they're not non-lethal anymore. So I, I've seen a lot of these videos, but I've learned that 60% of the people killed by the police are the mentally ill, some white, some black, but mentally ill is the defining thing. This guy had severe autism, couldn't respond correctly. And so they shot him instead. If they had wrapped him, by the way, Andrew Yang, to his credit on Friday, he tweeted out the gun we create, not the gun, but the weapon, the device we created and said, police need to start looking at this because it wraps around you and it doesn't hurt. You. I've been wrapped. Me You've too. been wrapped. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt. hurt. I just spit on you, by the way. You're probably going to get coronavirus. I need to like, I need to Was that hydrate. a big viral load? I don't know. I've got a heavy <laughs> viral load. Believe me. Oh yeah. Look, look at all the new vocabulary words. We've got viral loads, viral shedding, <laughs> R-nut, PPP, you know, by the way, PPP. by the way, speaking of, PPP and copper and, and health, the, the number one trending Kickstarter project right now, it was, mm -hmm. this was as of a few days ago, was, uh, about an extra hygiene, um, brass doorknob mm. made out of copper. Yeah. So people are onto it, the copper thing, copper right. doorknobs. Yeah. So we're looking at the copper pajamas, 43rd day in a row wearing pajamas no one even asks no one says oh what are you doing like are you insane <laughs> i wore it on the plane wore it to the key biscayne yacht club yesterday where we're not allowed in but we had friends who let us in um because they don't like jews no just oh, kidding goodness. just kidding don't worry we're gonna i don't want to insult anyway they 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 love jews um this like people so so somebody asked though on community because andrew yang tweeted about this and I've wanted, I've been wanting to interview Andrew Yang. Um, and I reached out to him, uh, uh, when am I going to have Andrew Yang on? The answer is, I don't know. He actually agreed to come on many months ago. And then he, I never heard from him again. I would love to interview Andrew Yang. 
I do think UBI, universal basic income, is not a Democrat or Republican issue, no matter how you try to make it. UBI right now is the most important stimulus package you could do. I spoke with Congressman Tim Ryan about this. He's a very great, he's a good congressman from Ohio, Democrat, but you couldn't tell from his issues. He actually opposed Nancy Pelosi for the speakership job. He lost that race, but he's a, a up and coming congressman. He's in favor of a UBI. Start it off. Try a three month UBI. Try a six month UBI. I wrote to Larry Kudlow, who's the national economics advisor, a Republican, and I suggested, look, just try this short term because direct stimulus to people is how you will spike the economy. Don't just give it to hotel chains or airlines. The airlines are just going to go out of business anyway. Give it to people who need the money and it will be spent. You don't have to worry about whether they have incentives to work. So I would love to talk to Andrew Yang about UBI law enforcement reforms, uh, automations happening now faster than he could have possibly predicted. So I would love to talk to him about automation and his current concerns, because right now society is in favor of automation because it's more hygienic. You know, if you have robots disinfect surface, surfaces, uh, if you have robots doing surgeries, if you have drones doing deliveries. So automation is not a bad thing. And I am in favor of a UBI, uh, but there's nuances. So I'd love to talk to him about this stuff. Here's my ideal ticket. Like, I don't give a shit about the parties. And, you know, Trump, Biden, ugh. Like, uh, first off, nobody really likes Biden. And people seem to either love or hate Trump. And so, whatever. Let's think about 2024. Here's my ideal ticket. And I'm curious if we're... Dan Crenshaw, Nikki Haley for the Republicans. And Dan Crenshaw's the guy with the eye patch. <laughs> Seems like such a common sense guy. <laughs> and Nikki Haley like, was the... Like, you, yeah. you like her. And on the Democrat side... Andrew Yang, and I don't know, maybe Tim Ryan. Like, I like Tim Ryan. Uh, uh, that's my ideal ticket. And by the way, for the libertarians, I don't know much about Joe Jorgensen, although I'm, I'm trying to get her on the podcast. She's the presidential nominee. Spike Cohen. I love that name, Spike Cohen. Like, he's like a hard, he's like Jewish with the Cohen, but Spike. He's yeah. like gonna, somehow he's gonna kick your ass. But meanwhile, like he's like, he's also immunosuppressed. He's the VP candidate for the Libertarian Party. So he's been locked down because of his immune system. He's got multiple, what is it, uh, sclerosis. Mm -hmm. But he's been on my podcast, super smart guy. I highly recommend it. People don't realize that a lot of the Democrat ideas right now, come from the Libertarian Party, like defund yeah. the police comes from the Libertarian Party. Right. And it doesn't mean get, no police. I'll let people look it up, but like, just get rid of the police that just give you driving tickets for no reason or the police that, you know, are just there to file your insurance claims or whatever. Like, do just keep, keep the police that solve crimes and handle domestic violence and stuff like that. That's all they're saying. Anyway, uh, or like just take a picture of you like when you're driving and you do something wrong they just take a picture and like i don't know then they send you a ticket yeah you know how many photos i have of me like speeding right through a red light i could make a whole like facebook album of that like i should make like a poster or something and hang it up like oh i look really bad in that one like oh i should have brushed my hair before going through that red light so um this was oh, but this was the actual bs headline of the day Pilgrim's Pride, which is like the biggest maker of chicken nuggets in the world. Pilgrim's Pride recalled 60,000 
pounds of chicken nuggets today. 60,000 pounds. Why did they do that? They said there was, they found there was too much flexible rubber in the mm. products. Mm. What the heck? Why is there flexible rubble? Made? Huh? When were they make this stuff? China? I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You, okay, yeah, probably China. I do think that's correct, actually. I do think they make it in well, China and it gets know, packaged they here. They did put melanin in the milk there, so when we were there, yeah, melanin. So somebody is putting flexible, uh, first of all, isn't all rubber flexible? Like, why do they have to mention it's, like, is non-flexible rubber okay? Like, if the, ru oh, the rubber is too flexible in the chicken nugget, like, why did they mention the word flexible? Like, that's the oddest thing to put out in this press release. There's too much, what, they could have just said, there's too much rubber, and I would have been like, that's disgusting. <laughs> too much flexible. Why can't they just say there's just rubber, not too much? Is that yeah. too much? Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. Wait. Yeah, there's too much. They could have just said there's rubber. <laughs> right. Please return. But like this time, there's this too much of it. And, and by the way, we still would have made fun of it. But the fact that the, right, they had to say, look, it, the rubber's flexible. <laughs> just avoid. These packages have regular rubber. These packages, the rubber's too flexible. What does that mean? Like, yeah. you're not going to be able to like, shit it out or something? Oh, like, that's gross. It is gross. Like, uh, it's another thing. And, uh, uh, so that was the BS headline of the day. And I, and, and I'll just, because I've been skipping lately, I'll do and the. I'll, I'll, I'll another thing. I, I said this before, but I remember when we lived in China, they dyed the pork red so that, you know, and then they would sell it as beef. Um, especially to the Uyghurs, you know, in the and, northern, yeah. uh, which are Muslim. So, so, so they, they don't eat pork. And they uh, don't pork. eat pork. So they would do that. The Chinese would actually do that. And they've been doing it for years and they got caught while we were there. By the way, I used to have the domain name, JewsWhoLovePork.com. I think it's, I, <laughs> pork is like a gift from God. And unfortunately for the two, these two major religions in the world, Islam and Judaism, they, they, they more devout Members of these religions do not eat bacon, their loss, but yeah, it would be horrible. I would tell, I would be able to tell if someone dyed my bacon red and so it wasn't terrible. really bacon. Like turkey bacon's the worst. Um, it just shows you where their moral compass is. That's so terrible. <laughs> as as, as all 1.2 billion people. So, um, okay, another question. Um, oh, it just there's an Andrew Yang one. What kind of things? you still don't agree with him. I actually agree with Andrew Yang on lots of things, and I think he's a smart guy. I just want to talk to him about automation. So uh, let's see. This is a great question because a lot of business people go through this or writers go through this, artists go through this, parents go through this, teachers go through this. Someone asked me, hi, James, how can someone disrupt the patterns in their head that tell them that the business idea they have has already been done? These thoughts keep playing in my head and are keeping me from moving forward. So, by the way, it's a really interesting question. So, so let me summarize the question. How do you tell if an idea is a good idea? So what's interesting to me is that he used two or three sentences to ask that question. So it's almost like, like he said, how can someone disrupt the patterns of their head that tell them? So, so it's almost like he's worried, like maybe... The idea is good, but his psychology is somehow obsessively thinking his idea is bad, so he's not able to get through the psychology to see if the idea is good. So, fine. And he also says, not whether the idea is good, but whether the idea has already been done. 
which is so, a good sign to me if it's already been done and it's successful. Yeah, if, there's, so if, you're, if an idea has been done and you can improve it, that's you know then that's, I think yeah, and then so 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 it seems like the wrong question. Like you can Google if an idea has been done. Like if I want to make an electric car, I'll Google electric cars and I'll see Tesla. If I want to make a, an electric bike, I'll Google electric bikes. If I want to make um, elect, electric flossing on my teeth, I'll Google that. And by the way, that's also a trending project on Kickstarter. If I want to Google, so, you know, the person who, who, who asked earlier what business ideas can help connect people who are alone or locked down. If I want to Google, oh, here's an idea, uh, sex related subscription crates. So every month, you get a new box in the mail that has all these sexual toys for you and your wife or whatever. Uh, I can Google it. And I did. And it turns out, uh, A, it's a huge trending item on, on Google right now. And B, there's all sorts of, uh, stuff, but I can't find my, oh, here it is. It's like, there's the big O box. There's the mystery pleasure box. There's the love drop. There's seductive pleasure. There's novel erotics. There's kink crate. So you can just Google things. So that's not really the question. The real question is, how do you validate a good idea? And the way I can validate a good idea is by asking people. There's several ways. And so I'll go through some of the ways. One is I can simply ask people, do you need this? If I make this, will you buy it? So for instance, if I say, if I told you, look, I'm going to, you know, here's a couple of things right now. We're in this total you know, lockdown period that might last for years for all we know, it's semi-lockdown, whatever. If I, if I told you, what if I could make you super comfortable clothes that will also protect you maybe from getting bacteria, maybe from getting viruses, maybe from getting the cold? Well, pajamas are the most comfortable clothes. So what if I told you I can make you pajamas that look like outerwear, but are actually pajamas. So what's great is I could just come into the house and just go into the bed and I'm asleep. I don't have to change my clothes or anything. And then I could just wake up and go to the computer and go on IG Live. And I could have nice designs. And what if I could told you I'm going to infuse them with copper. And there's a lot of evidence that copper is antimicrobial, antibacteria, antiviral. There's, that's why the brass doorknob is, is trending on Kickstarter. And then I could say, would you buy, if I just gave it to you for free, would you, would you wear it? And then I could learn. You would say yes. Here's another way. What if I create the first version of this product for men and women and I put it on Kickstarter? So on Kickstarter, I can say I'm raising a hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to make a whole line of this. And in Kickstarter, you give incentives. Oh, if you give ten dollars, you get uh, you get a one pair. If you get or you get socks. If you do fifty dollars, you get one pair. If you do a hundred dollars, you get twelve pairs. If you do a thousand dollars, I'll give you uh, pairs every year for the rest of your life or whatever. And you Kickstarter is not only a good way to raise money, but it's a good way to validate your idea. People will see a working version of the product of your idea, and they're willing to put money in. And they're your first customers. They're your strongest customer base. So, um, uh, uh, you know, Kickstarter and other Indiegogo, uh, these are great ways to validate ideas. Another way is I can get a Facebook ad for just $20 and I could target, you know, let's say I'm making a game, um, uh, for, for people who like Star Wars. It's, I'm going to do like cards against humanities, but it's going to be like, you know, the dark side of the forest versus humanity or whatever, or Yoda versus humanity. And so I can target 
you know, people, kit young people who like Star Wars, and I'm going to sell them this game, Yoda versus Humanity. And you can see them, or let's say I'm going to make the game, we were talking about this even, mm. Trump versus Humanity. And uh, you target people who like Biden, and uh, you see if they click on the ad. And that's another way. If they, a lot of people click on the ad, you know you have some interest. So mm. you can sell. So there's all these different ways. Um, when I was starting one company, my first company reset, we made websites. We just asked around to every local business, do you need a website? And would you be willing to pay? Our first customer was a diamond dealer, small guy. We did a website for him for $35,000 and boom, I had more money than I had ever had in my life, but we simply asked around and then he spread the word about us. Other people spread the word. We had work to show. So suddenly word of mouth went around. And boom, we had a business. For another business, I made, I made the sort of business I wanted. I made an investment website with no news, just information about stocks and the best investors and, and ways to communicate. It was like a Quora for investing. Um, so I made a, a, I knew it was a good idea because I needed this website. So that was another way to validate the idea, which you never really see in all these articles about validating ideas make the business that you would use. So, um, uh, you know, and then with this wrap gun that I was just mentioning, the, the non-lethal restraining device, we knew, we talked to a hundred police officers and police chiefs from all around the world, not just the US. I think they just announced today, 28,000 orders from Indonesia. So we knew that the police would be interested in this device. So we did that so thoroughly, like we just asked every police department, would you be interested in the device? A hundred percent said yes. So if you just ask people, you, you know that there's an urgent problem. This is part of the copywriting. There's an urgent problem, which is that this was in 2016. There was an urgent problem, which is that I think it was the Eric Garner had just been killed. So, you know, and again, not only was it an urgent problem because of the brutality and the, and the, and the killing and the murder, but it was all cities don't want to do it because they get sued. And so it cost them billions of dollars. So we knew it was an urgent problem. We knew this was a useful solution because, uh, there was no device that was non-lethal. Taser kills one or two people a week. We knew that it was, um, ultra specific, like, like, I'm using all the techniques from copywriting to validate this idea. It was ultra specific because here's how it works. And I'll show you a video of how it works. We knew that it was um, user friendly. You just have to press a button and there's a little laser. So it tells you where you're shooting. So it's user friendly. Um, I always forget what all the use are, but um, <laughs> oh, we have whatever it is. We have unquestionable proof because we've, we've wrapped hundreds of thousands of people. Now I've done, we, we did a million tests with uh, all sorts of subjects, people running, people running at you, people running away, people running side to side, people waving their arms. And now every day, police departments call us and say, you just saved another life. So we have unquestionable proof. So that's how you validate an idea. Let's get to something a little bit on the fun side. Um, I was talking to one of our daughters. We have, we have two daughters graduating mm -hmm. and two other daughters 
trying to figure out what to do this next year. Mm-hmm. One of my daughters, one of our daughters, uh, to her credit, a year before this all started, she dropped out of college. She wants to be an actress. And I kept telling her, okay, fine, go to college, but are you going to get more experience acting in your shitty little drama department at Dickinson College? Or if you move to New York City, where there's Broadway. Now, unfortunately, Broadway's closed down for the year, but she's thinking of side hustles and things she could do. So I'll just tell you what I'm telling her today, literally today. So because everybody always lists side hustles and I've done this too, but then when you start to look at it, like I was looking at one side hustle where you use or test uh, websites that are being built and you make like a dollar an hour. Who wants to do that? So you were, you were telling one of your daughters get a real estate license, which is a great idea now that one part of the country is moving, is lifting up and moving to another part of the country right now. And, uh, so we'll see if she does that, but that it's not a side hustle, but it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the con- contact tracing is a job, you know, every city in the United States is hiring tens of that. I think like New York, New York state is hiring like a hundred thousand contact tracers. Washington DC alone is hiring like 250,000 contact tracers. So those are the people who, uh, if you got the virus, they will interview you and then contact everybody who's been in touch with you and get them to test for the virus and quarantine and so on. So contact tracing, by the way, is a job you could do from home and it pays between 30 and $60,000 a year. It's great for a kid who's 20 years old and is not going to college and wants to pursue acting. She could do it from home. I did warn her though, the danger, and I'm gonna warn you, 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 the danger of contact tracing is that it's the first step into 1984 world. So if you have an iPhone, for instance, you have recently downloaded software without your awareness, you have recently downloaded software that allows Apple to do contact tracing. So if, if Robin has coronavirus and I happen to walk past her and then she, they find out a day later she has coronavirus, they could see through the cell phone towers and GPS and stuff, who are all the people who walked near her? And, oh, who is this guy, James Altucher? Let's put him in the database. Okay, contact tracer, make sure, visit his house and make sure he takes uh, a an at-home coronavirus test. Oh, he has it? Make sure he's quarantined. Oh, he doesn't want to quarantine? Well, he has to quarantine. So you take it, we'll send the police, we'll take him to this quarantine facility, and boom. So con contact tracing, and maybe you can argue this is a good thing. Maybe you can argue, well, look, we need to lock down these people. They need to care about society. Okay, fine. But what about the next level is uh, she says something bad about Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Oh, who was standing next to her within 10 feet of her when she said that? Because we can, the phone can hear everything we say, right? Alexa can hear everything you say. Who was near her? Let's find out. Who was she at a rally? Who was near her? Oh, this guy James was near her. Call James up, and until we figure out what his political situation is, we need to quarantine him also, and we're not telling him why. So this starts to get into 1984 or Minority Report. Like, I'm not against the idea of contact tracing, but be very contact traced with the Spanish flu. But now that the technology is there, 
to have so much more control over our lives. Like for instance, they could say, James, you don't want to quarantine? Well, guess what? We just shut your phone down. Guess what? We just turned off your email account. Guess what? We just froze your bank account. Now you have to quarantine until we decide you can be let out. So I think uh, the, the, tech, the scary, so someone says, we are in uh, 1984 uh, in the USSR or whatever. Uh, we're, we already have the te- US right now has the technology for even a better 1984 than 1984. Yeah. So it's a dangerous weapon that our leaders now have their hands on. And we just have to hope that they're responsible and that they can do this. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, everyone says Trump is fascist or Biden is fascist or whatever. Let's just hope that's just talk and that it's not really true, that they're just trying to win an election. And then so they can they continue making billions of dollars and ripping off the American people. I'm fine with that. That's what presidents have always done. There's no secret that the that every president like the Obama family is worth $200 million now. The Clintons are worth $200 million. They're probably billionaires. The Bushes are billionaires. And all they did was go into politics. So I don't care. Let them make all their money. Let them be corrupt. I just don't want them escalating into 1984. And that's what I'm really, that's the only thing that really scares me uh, right now. And it's really not really the, the dictator. It's not like the, the individual doing it, but it's the party that's doing it. Yes. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, we, our presidents can only go like four years or eight years at the most. So, you know, they can come and go. So we, we don't have a dictator. But I believe it's sort of starting to be like the party is the dictator. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, because look, like, we all know, like, like we all know anyway that Biden, you know, look, sadly, both of them, if they, whoever gets elected might not live one term. So their choice of vice president is really important. By the way, I'm betting on Val Demings. But uh, but I, I no longer think she's gonna get it. I think I think Tammy Duckworth, the senator from Illinois, will probably be the VP choice. I should probably bet on her as well. But uh, but yeah, I don't think anybody cares who's president. I think they care how much they can control. Yeah. Um, so okay. Uh, uh, so so anyway, real estate license. I'm also telling my daughter, everybody in New York City is leaving all the major cities: New York City, Chicago, Illinois. I'm sorry, Chicago. San Francisco, LA, everybody's leaving. Everybody I talk to is moving out or having a summer home or, or getting an Airbnb in Austin. I just, I spoke to three people today who are going to Austin. So they're gonna have homes that are empty for a while in New York City or LA or San Francisco. What are they gonna do with those homes? They're gonna Airbnb them. So I told our daughter, start, look, start contacting the recent listings on Airbnb and tell them you'll manage the air. When they move to Puerto Rico and they, to get no federal taxes and they can't come back to New York State for 186 days, they need someone to manage the Airbnb for them. So start advertising your services, manage the Airbnb. You let guests in, you clean the place up and you get paid a good amount of money for that. So that's another thing. Um, I'm telling her also, look at flippa.com. Find an e-commerce site that makes a little bit of money that you're an expert in an area you're an expert in that you think you can improve and that's for sale for a cheap price. I'll lend you the money to buy the e-commerce site and then you'll pay me back out of the profits. And that's a, a, a that's a legit side hustle idea. Or, you know, I we talked about the sexual subscription boxes. Okay. If I needed to set up a subscription box, let's say I want to go in the subscription box business, like the PPP 
subscription box business. So you get new disinfectants every month, you get new masks, you get new gloves, you get the new ultraviolet light. That's going to be a huge subscription box business. Well, I don't know how to, I, James Albert, I don't know how to set up a subscription box business. Like you have to get all the products and you have to get them cheaper than you're selling them all in this monthly subscription. And then you have to package the box up and you have to send it, learn how to do all those parts. And then this is meta help people set up their own subscription box business. I think you can charge $10,000 per business you set up like that. So plus ongoing maintenance. So that's, that's maybe the multi-million dollar business idea of the day, actually. Um, here's another one. A friend of mine came to me with an idea that I thought was pretty good. You know, it was a, an idea for a store in a very specific niche. And since he told me the idea, I cannot share the idea, but I thought it was very, very good. I did some research, thought it was a good idea for an e-commerce store. I went on to Shopify just to see how easy it is to, for him to set up a Shopify store. Cause I figured if it's easy for me, it'll be easy for him. I got about halfway through and then suddenly Shopify wouldn't reload. It said, come back later. And then I hit, and then it said hit reload. I hit reload and all the information got lost. So clearly it's not so easy to set up a store and Shopify is supposedly the easiest. And so I said to our daughter, learn how to set up Shopify stores. Everybody's moving towards e-commerce. Then go to every local business that you could find in New York city and say, Hey, I'll set up a beautifully designed Shopify store for you. Pay me $5,000 and I'll do it. And I'll take her, once she gets good, it'll take her two or three hours per store to do it. Mm -hmm. These are real side hustles, not the bullshit like, oh, I'm going to drive for Uber Eats. You make, you make yeah. 10 cents a mile driving for Uber Eats. It's not a good idea. So whenever you Google side hustles, there's all these bullshit side hustles. These are real ones where you'll start to make a living and you can make wealth. Um, uh, so, oh, and then my, our daughter is uh, an artist. Uh, or she likes to draw. And I said, and she's even had people approach her like, Hey, can you draw me? Can you, uh, can you draw this? Can you draw that? And I said, uh, you know, try doing some of your drawings on t-shirts and then set up a store on Teespring or mm -hmm. Shopify. Mm -hmm. Again, we want to validate the idea. Do three shirts, set it up on Teespring, send it out to all, put it on Instagram and send all your Facebook friends. See if you get any orders. Boom. It's a great way to validate an idea. So anyway, Another question. Um, uh, so uh, uh, that's a business question, uh, but I will see if there's another question that's not uh, business related. Uh, oh, dear James, you are so damn productive. Thank you. Not as productive as you think. I spent the entire day yesterday playing poker online, much to her chagrin. Did we go out last night? No, we went out the night before. Yep. Um, we, went to dinner. we went, yeah, we went to dinner the night before. Yeah. Oh, we went out to dinner. Yeah, last night. Yeah, last night. Uh, dear James, you're so damn productive. How do you manage your time? Do you map out your days in advance? What tools do you employ for time management? Um, thanks very much. You're helping me build wealth. I really appreciate it. His name's Jonathan. Jonathan, thank you so much. Uh, here's the key thing. A lot of people do to-do lists. I do not do a to-do list. I do have a calendar. I use Google Calendar. So for instance, on my Google Calendar for today, the only thing that's there is 2 p.m. Instagram Live Q&A with Robin. That was the only thing on my calendar today. Oh, maybe I had a phone call also. But then at any given moment, I have two choices. Like let's say when this is over, I have two choices. I can either waste some time 
or I have three choices. I could either waste some time. I could spend time with Robin, which is always a good choice. Or I could figure out what's the most important thing I have to do right now. Is there a phone call I have to return? Is there an article I have to write? Like what am I, what is causing me some, a little bit of anxiety if I don't get this done? So at any given point, I don't need a list. You don't need a list. At any given point, you know what the most important thing for you to do is. Like you don't say, hmm, what should I do now when you actually have like uh, an important assignment due the next day? You're very much aware that you have that assignment due the next day. It's very rare that you actually don't know, given a particular moment, what the most important thing for you to do is that moment. And then if you have a to-do list, it's too stressful. Like I used to do a to-do list and I'd have like 70 items on it. So you never finish the things on your to-do list. So it was too much stress. So now I just ask myself every moment, what is the most important thing for me to do right now? The only exception is, is in the mornings, I always try to spend one to two hours reading and then one to three hours writing. Writing is the thing I, I've been doing since 1990, every single day. I love it and nothing gets in the way of me doing writing or very rarely, like I schedule podcasts for the afternoons, we do this IG live in the afternoon. I don't return. I don't even use, I don't even look at my phone until the afternoon. I'm just about writing and it's not even about getting writing done. It's about getting better at writing. So it's very important for me to try to get better every day. And the only way to get better is to, is to do it. Speaking of that, sad news for me. Um, I just found out one of my, and thank you for texting this to me. I just found out. One of my podcast guests and a guy I admire, I admire very, very, very much, Anders Ericsson. He's the professor who's the creator of the 10,000 hour rule. Um, that's the rule that if you do something for, ten, and I don't agree with this rule, but it's the rule that if you do something for 10,000 hours, you, or you, you get to be the best at it. Anyway, he just passed away. So, uh, I'm sorry to hear that about him. He was a really good guy. He was on my podcast. We would email back and forth all the time. Even when I started doing comedy, I, I wrote to him and we conferred, like, how can we apply the 10,000 hour rule to comedy? And that's when I realized the 10,000 hour, it was really, that email discussion with Anders Ericsson was very important to me because I realized then that he was wrong, <laughs> that the 10,000 hour rule is really great for improving things that you do over and over and over again, like a golf swing, but it's not good for creative things like comedy or writing and Julia Cameron, who was on my podcast, she's a, a great person also. She wrote a book called The Artist's Way. She once said to me, she said, oh, you poor, poor baby. You are locked in this prison created by this 10,000 hour rule. You need to break out of that prison. And she was right. And I started thinking what really helps me learn to be the best at any area is what I call the 10,000 experiment rule. So instead of just repeating something over and over again and getting feedback about it, you experiment with different ideas. So if I'm writing, maybe I'll write an article in the second person instead of the first person. So the second person is when you say you instead of I, or maybe if I'm uh, uh, playing chess, I experiment with, you know, some crazy openings, or maybe if I'm doing business, I experiment with validating an idea on Kickstarter, or maybe you know, if I'm doing um, publishing, I'll experiment with doing a 10 page book self published on Amazon. So every experiment, and I came up with a whole, 
once I had this conversation with both Anders Ericsson and Julia Cameron, I came up with this whole philosophy of how, what an experiment looks like, how you can learn as much as possible, whether you fail or succeed. And I've spoken about this before, but Anders Ericsson, for better or for worse, has been very instrumental on my thinking because for so long, I just beat myself over the head about the 10,000 hour rule. How do I, how do I crack the code so I don't have to do 10,000 hours? And, and, and he was pushing me at it. And finally, after tons of conversations, I was able to do it. So anyway, rest in peace, Anders Ericsson. You're a really good guy. His book, Peak, I highly recommend. And my next book called Skip the Line, uh, coming out next March. So forget about it now, but it's all about the, how to skip the line and be the best without spending Anders Ericsson's 10,000 hours. Uh, I owe the whole concept of that book to him. So I was very sad to hear that he had, uh, passed, he had passed away. Um, so, oh, uh, let me see. Oh, is there anything you wanted to bring up specifically? Well, no, I'm just kind of going along with it. You're just going along, you're just going along with the, the, the whole way. I'm shocked that he died. Yeah, yeah, he's a very good guy. Malcolm, obviously Malcolm Gladwell popularized the concept of the 10,000 hours in his book, uh, Outliers. And then Anders Ericsson thought he got, that Gladwell got it wrong. So that's why Ericsson wrote Peak. And I think I was pretty much the only podcast he wanted to go up on. He flew actually from Florida to New York. And he wasn't really that healthy then. It was several years ago. And we had such a great time. And, we, and anyway, we kept in touch. But the way Malcolm Gladwell popularized the 10,000 hour rule, he spoke about the Beatles and how the Beatles in the early 60s, before anybody heard about them, the Beatles worked for something like 10,000 hours in these strip clubs, 24 hours a day almost, in Germany. And that's how they just, they put in their 10,000 hours. But when I spoke to Erickson about this, he said, no, no, it was more like five or 6,000 hours. Gladwell got it wrong. But then I started thinking about the Rolling Stones. How did the Rolling Stones get good? They actually kind of sucked in the beginning. Like Mick Jagger couldn't play instruments and he wasn't a singer. He was a horrible singer. If you look at the very early reviews of the Rolling Stones, they would say, the, the reviewers would say, I can't understand a single word he says out of that ugly mouth. They would say that. And nobody could figure out, like, and they weren't even like a great group. So how did they get good? Well, here's, here, here's, and it was very interesting studying the example of the Rolling Stones. First off, they did idea sex. So Keith Richards and Mick Jagger were obsessed with the blues. So they combined, they're the first group to really combine the blues with Elvis Presley, which was sort of a modern version of the blues at that time, with the Beatles, which was like pop music. So they combined the blues with pop music. And so Idea Sex, they were the only one in that intersection of a pop version. They, you know, their first 10 songs, their first album was all uh, blues music, was covers. They were a cover band. Uh, their, their first time they, they had a hit in the top 10 was a cover of a Buddy Holly song. Then, hey, this is very important for getting good at something. They had their plus minus equals. So their plus was obviously Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly, there's virtual mentors that they studied ever since they were little kids. Keith Richards and Mick Jagger met each other on a train going into London. Mick Jagger was studying at the London School of Economics. Keith Richards was some kind of drug addict loser. And they were both carrying blues albums with them. So they had a common interest. 
But it wasn't just that. They so they had their their virtual mentors, they had their plus, but they also had their equals. So one time they were going to a gig and they shared a car. That nobody had a car. So they shared a car with two other people who were also going to the gig. Two other like 16-year-olds who were also going to that gig. Uh Eric Clapton, who became, you know, the head of group Cream, and Jimmy Page, the, the guitarist for Led Zeppelin. So they were friends, all of these guys, this whole group of like rock, like they grew up together. So they had their equals that they competed against. And comp- so you always have to find your equals that you're, you're both learning from and competing against. When, when Mick Jagger and Keith Richards tried to write their first song, they were failing. They couldn't do it. So they ran into on the street two of their friends from the, from the club scene. These friends were John Lennon and Paul McCartney. So John Lennon and Paul McCartney said, hey, how do we all just work together? Well, let's all hang out in your little studio apartment and we'll figure it out. So their first, the first original song that the Rolling Stones ever put out, I think it was called uh, I Want to Be Your Man, was written by Paul McCartney and John Lennon. So it's growing up together and meeting these, these greats that are just in their beginning stages. You know, when you look at the art movement, you have, you know, Jasper Johns, Robert Rauschenberg, who they, they were roommates and they lived right next door to John Cage and who was also this abstractionist in the music space. Or you look at, you know, all these different groups, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Steve Wozniak, Paul Allen, they all hung out together when they were kids. Moreau, so Picasso, Picasso and Moreau, all these artists from in France, um, Fitzgerald, uh, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ernest Hemingway, John Dos Passos, uh, Gertrude Stein, all hanging out in, in, um, Paris in the twenties. So you, you find your equals and you, you find your scene, not your tribe, but your scene that you grow up with. Tribe means something different than a scene. The other thing they did, it's very important. When they're young, you say yes to everything. When you're older, you say no to everything. So Mick Jagger, they would say yes to every single gig. They did 200 gigs a year in the early 60s. And that's how they, again, that's the part where the 10,000 hour rule comes in. They just did as many gigs as possible. Now, here's something interesting. How do they make money? Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones, all of them, they don't own the rights to their music. They, they kind of sold those away in 1966. They sold away all the painted black, Sympathy for the Devil, all the satisfaction, all the songs that we know, they, they sold them to, uh, uh, their manager, Alan Klein. So here's how they make money. Every year, they go on tour. They form a new company. They go on tour. The company collects all the money and then they d- dissolve the company at the end of the year and split up the money into four pieces. And their last tour made $600 million. So that's how they make their money. So you always have, no matter who you are, whether you're Mick Jagger or someone sitting at home writing a book, you always have to do what I call the spoken wheel approach. You know, their music is the wheel, but the tour is one of the spokes. Mick Jagger also produces TV shows. They also produce other albums and they own rights to other musicians. So on and on, they have a spoken wheel. Also, it helps to have breadth of knowledge. So, um, uh, you know, the first words of sympathy for the devil, um, I forget the words now, please excuse me, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, that's a line from a book by Mikhail, I think, Bulgakov, uh, the master in the margarita. So Mick Jagger was an avid reader of literature and he took lines from his favorite 
novels. So again, using idea sex, using other things to combine. And, you know, these are just a few other things. It's worth studying the careers of the people who are at the best. And you could see, this This relates back to Anders Ericsson, just riffing on this. You could see how, where the 10,000 hour rule comes in, but also these other things. You know, they experimented. Mick Jagger experimented with playing the guitar. He experimented with different types of music. They experimented with having different drummers. Brian Jones, they threw him out of the band because that experiment wasn't working. So they also did experiments. They experiment, what should they say yes to? What should they say no to? So, and so on. Unfortunately, they're not very good at saying no. They're still playing at the age of 73. Mick Jagger thought he was going to retire at the age of 33. But don't make goals. It shows you the uselessness of goals. You could have a goal for five years from now, and then five years from now, you could say, ah, oh, that was a stupid goal. I wish I knew then what I do now. Or you can make a new goal. You can make a new goal. So, but in any case, thanks so much for your questions. Uh, any questions I didn't ask, I will try to ask answer directly on SMS or in one of my articles or in a future IG Live um, where, uh, uh, oh, I did want to mention the good headline of the day, but I'll save it for tomorrow. Tomorrow also more business ideas, more historical examples of experiments and idea sex. I, I'm finishing my list of ideas for my for our daughter about what businesses she could do, so I'll have more of that. I will answer more questions. Please ask the questions. Text me 203-590-8607. We're going to store this IG uh, on my IG feed at Altature and also on YouTube and also on the podcast. So thanks very much. Hey, our, oh, by the way, I thought you never, you told me two days ago, you're a horrible cook. And then you made like the best apple pie in the world. It was a frozen pie. Ah, I solved the mystery. I thought she was like this incredible cook all of a sudden. And she's been lying to me all this time. But uh, the truth comes out. Thanks very much, everybody. See you tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.